time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. Coming up on today's edition of Reengineering Your Finances, we're talking about some of the most common retirement planning questions about taxes. We're not just talking about year-end tax stuff, but you know the bigger picture, the really important questions about taxes, retirement, and how much you can truly save if you plan properly. All that and more coming up on the show today. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Charles Weldy. He's the founder, certified financial planner, and CPA at CP Weldy Group. And uh, he's based in Chad's Ford, Pennsylvania on Route 52, but you can find him anywhere online at cpweldygroup.com. Charles, you ready for another great show on the uh, program today? Water, I'm ready and raring to go. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Uh, as we approach the end of the year, you know, saving money on taxes does become a bigger focus for many people. In fact, you'll probably see folks, if you're out there searching and looking around here at the end of the year, you're going to see articles popping up about year-end tax planning strategies and all that sort of stuff. And we've even done those kinds of shows in the past, Charles. We're going to broaden the scope out for this particular episode and say, all right, let's not just look at year-end stuff, but let's really look at some of the most common retirement planning questions as it relates to taxes, and we're going to look at some of the mistakes to avoid and how a proper plan can make a really significant difference uh, difference in somebody's tax savings. And this is right up your alley, Charles, because not only are you a certified financial planner, but also a CPA. So I know you're kind of, uh, you know, licking your chops about today's topic. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I wake up every morning thinking about it, Walter. Just kidding. I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> hey, everyone's got to have a passion, uh, Charles. And you've carved out, carved out a nice niche where a lot of other people don't have a passion for the taxes and finances like you do. So it's very helpful to those uh, in the world that don't have that same passion because you can come alongside them and help them out. That's the goal sure. of today's show. Uh, now, a lot of people wonder if there are strategies they can use while they're still working to improve their tax situation, Charles. Now, we're going to talk plenty about tax planning in retirement uh, or approaching retirement, but what about those workers out there? How do you respond to questions from folks who are you know, trying to make a difference while they're still in their working years? Yeah, so I think the major thing I see in my practice, Walter, is that you know younger people that are still saving for retirement – you know, they're, they're putting max, max money in their 401k or, you know, uh, 403b at work or IREs. And that's fine. But at some point in time, uh, how much is too much? You know, I'm not really concerned about what people have in there today. What keeps me up at night is like, hey, what are they going to have when they eventually retire at age 65, 67, 70, whatever that number is? And, um, you know, I mean, for the most part, based upon today's standard deduction, because you know, pretty much most people that file returns today, uh, the last I read was like eight out of 10 people don't itemize anymore. I mean, you look at the standard deduction. Let's just say for discussion purposes today that the standard deduction for someone who is single is 15,000 and someone that's married is 30, all right? Well, basically, um, when you reach, uh, I guess, age 72 now, where you're required to take money out of your account, um, you know, the general rule is like, hey, whatever you have in there, multiply it by 4% round numbers. And that's what you have to, um, you know, ha- that's what you have to take out whether you need the money or not. So basically, let's just use somebody that's single. So if I take 15,000, 15, 1, 2, 3, divide it by 0.04, all right, that's 375,000. Let's just make sure it's right. 15,000 divided by 0.04. Yeah, 375,000. So Walter, why did I do that? Well, I could have somebody that's single and they could have $375,000 in their retirement account 
And when they reach age 72, if I multiply that by 4% and get 15 grand, I just created tax-free income of 15 grand because they have a standard deduction of 15 grand. Now, when I go over that, if I had 600,000 in there, I've got extra money that might impact the taxation on their social security. They might have other income. So the point I want to make is, don't grow your tax deferred money too much because there's a point where, you know, I don't mind people paying 10%, maybe 12% today to be 15% tomorrow. But once you get over 15%, the, the next tax rate in 2026 is going to be 25%. So my point is that, you know, when people are working, really try to figure out, hey, what's the standard deduction going to be when I retire? It does go up with inflation. And what's the max I can have in there so that when I put the money in, I got a full deduction for it. And when I took it out, I didn't have to pay any taxes. All right. So that's number one. Number two, the same concept for a married person, just multiply it by two. So they can have 375 times two, 750 in their account. They can take 30 grand out and that 30 grand will not be subject to income taxation. So the bottom line, long winded answer to that question is that I find most people blindly just like, you know, Pull, pull the truck in and they load that truck with pre-tax dollars, but they're not aware that when they take them out later in life, they may be taxed at a much higher rate than what they put it in. Plus all the interest, well, all the growth of that account, you know, I mean, I put in 200 grand, it grows to like 600 grand, I'm taxed on the whole 600. So realistically, you know, just be aware that maybe there's other alternatives to investing at a younger age and putting all your money in pre-tax accounts. Good points across the board there, Charles, and a great way to start off our conversation about taxes. And uh, one of the common questions that I want to make sure we get to on the show today, you know, if somebody comes into your office and says, am I going to have as many deductions in retirement as I did while I was working? How do you usually answer that question? And what do you usually see? So as a general rule, the answer is a big, you know, N-O, no. Why? Because generally speaking, the mortgage is paid off. There's no mortgage interest deduction that they're going to be taken. Uh, tax is or real estate taxes, state and local taxes under current law, it's limited to 10 grand. So there's 10 grand. That's not much at all. Their medical is really limited to like what their income is. So, you know, if you're, uh, if you have high income, let's just say a hundred grand, I'm using that as an example. And maybe like the first 7.5, you can't write off. Well, the first $7,500 of your medical expenses are non-deductible. Anything above that? Yes. But by and large, I don't see too many people with high medical, you know, at, at such a young age. Uh, so when you think about it, like, it's just like uh, when you retire, you're, you know, you're not really, generally speaking, going to have much to deduct. You're just going to have that standard deduction that we talked about earlier. So just plan for a $15,000 standard deduction or a 30,000 round number standard deduction if you're married. And then anything above that will start being taxed at, you know, the progressive rates. Good answer to that one for sure. I would imagine that most people assume their taxes are going to be lower in retirement. I know that's the way it kind of just used to be assumed for a lot of people, but how often are they right about that these days? Well, you know, I wish I had it in front of me, but uh, recently I was on a webinar by a gentleman by the name of Van Miller, and he basically said that, you know, of all the people that work in the United States, uh, I couldn't believe like how many people, uh, you know, make less than like, say, $75,000, and they don't really pay a lot of taxes. What's happening is there's a lot of people making good money that are putting money in pre-tax accounts. And to me, that's a low-hanging fruit. I mean, basically, you know, the IRS knows that there's like, you know, I don't know how much money's in there, but it's a lot. 
uh, and they know that, you know, these people are going to be forced to take the money out. And, you know, obviously they can raise the tax rates, they can change the rules in the middle of the game. And one of the things I see in my practice is that when uh, a married couple loses one of their, you know, spouses, uh, they automatically now are, are taxed as a single individual. And, you know, maybe on the same income, they're paying a lot more taxes just because single people pay more taxes uh, on less levels of income than married people do. So, um, again, like, um, you know, people can't assume that tax rates are going to be lower because we have this like $31 trillion deficit as we speak. They're printing money like crazy. Half the people aren't working as hard as they used to work prior to the pandemic. Um, you know, and the IRS, you know, uh, well, not the IRS, the federal government, when they need money, they're going to get it to the, get it from the people that have the most of it. And most of it is in these like pre-tax accounts. Love the uh, information on the show today as we dive into these tax questions, uh, real common ones. What about um, taxing across accounts? Is it is it the same? I know that's a common question. Are all of my retirement accounts going to be taxed at the same rates and taxed in the same way? That's a great question. I mean, like just visualize this. There's three funnels, you know, that you can invest in. One is pre-tax which most people put their money in. Hey, they get a deduction when they put the money in, you know, for the most part. Then there's after-tax and they put their after-tax money in that. And then there's a third funnel called tax-free. So visualize this. We have $100,000 invested in each funnel, one in pre-tax, one in after-tax, and one in tax-free. And let's say like they hire me as their advisor and we double that money and all of a sudden it's worth 200 grand. So Walter, I have a question for you. We're looking at the pre-tax account, which they funded it with 100 grand. It grew to 200 grand, and now they're taking that whole 200 thousand dollars out of that account. How much of that 200 grand, Walter, do you believe is going to be taxable? It's going to have that uh, that whole half is going to be taxable, right? Well, the whole thing, right? Oh, the whole thing. Oh, yeah, the contribution of 100 and all the growth, right? Yeah. So, yeah, they get a deduction on the seed of 100 grand that they put in, but they're paying tax on the harvest of 200 grand when they take it out. Now, let's look at the middle funnel, the, the after-tax money. We put 100 grand in, it grew to 200 grand. They take the whole 200 grand out. How much of that 200 grand's tax holder? What would you think? So now it's only the half, right? You got it. Yeah, it's just the growth, right? It's the growth. And if we had them in a you know, 12 or 10% tax bracket, most people don't even realize that qualified dividends, long-term capital gains are not taxable, right? So there's a lot of tax efficiency by managing your tax brackets. And then let's move to the last funnel, the tax-free funnel, which generally is only funded with two things. Number one, Roth IRAs, and number two, cash value life insurance. And we put 100 grand in, and all of a sudden it grows to 200 grand, and now we take the whole 200 grand out. How much of that order do you believe is taxable? Oh, boy. See, this is where I then turn to you, Charles. <laughs> yeah. Well, if we put after-tax money in and it grew tax-free and we take it all out, none of it's taxable. Oh, great. So the key is, like, you know, not to have too much money in any one bucket. Look at all three, I call them funnels. Look at all three funnels and really strategically have, you know, the right amount of money and the right type of funnel so that when you're pulling money out, gee, I'm at the 12% bracket. If I take another 10 grand out, I'll be in the 22% bracket. Guess what? I'll just take that other 10 grand out of tax free and I'll remain in the 12% bracket. So, you know, uh, the point I want to make is, and I'll just be candid, like I love financial planning. You know, if somebody said, Charles, can you add alpha? And alpha is like, hey, uh, higher degrees of like, um, you know, returns for people. I mean, I think I can, but I can't prove it. But I know one thing, Walter, I can add tax alpha. I can look at somebody's portfolio, 
quantify their tax liability and find strategies to actually like, you know, reduce them or possibly eliminate them over time. Really like the way that you describe that, Charles. Yeah, great way to look at it. How can you change your tax situation and uh, navigate through there to actually change the dynamic in your entire portfolio? It can be done. Maybe this would be a good time for an example, Charles, of a, a bad tax mistake or two that you've seen people make with their investments that could have been avoided if they came in and did some strategic planning ahead of time. Well, I mean, the one that sticks out is, um, you know, I don't know about investments, but I guess in, in terms of retirement income, I see a lot of people coming to me after they made a decision to take their Social Security benefit, and uh, which is not, you know, the, the, you know, the, the worst thing in the world. But, you know, had they come to me prior to like making that, you know, Social Security election, I may have said, hey, wait a minute, you've got X amount of dollars here in your pre-tax accounts. Let's consider, you know, taking out what you need you know, we'll build a bridge for the next three or four years and let your social security benefit maybe grow by 8% a year so that instead of getting uh, 100% of what you're going to get at age 66, you're going to get 132% of that amount at age 70. And as we take the money out, hey, we're reducing that potential future tax liability and we don't have that social security to pay tax on on your income tax return for the next four years. And maybe we can take a portion of that pre-tax account and maybe like convert it to a Roth IRA so that all the future growth will be tax free. Uh, you know, so that's like probably one of the biggest mistakes I see is people had this mentality that, hey, you know what, Social Security is going to run out. We got to get it sooner rather than later. And they kind of, you know, even though it's counterintuitive to take the money out of like their retirement account prior to getting on Social Security, for many people, that could be the better choice. Uh, so that's one big mistake that I see. Another mistake that I see, and I don't know if it's a mistake, but it's it's uh, an opportunity loss. Let's call it an opportunity loss. Would be uh, someone has an opportunity to get a pension, and let's just uh, throw some numbers out. Let's just say that you were 62 years old, you're getting ready to retire, and your company says, "Hey, Walter, I'm going to give you 42,000 a year for the rest of your life." You know, uh, or, you know, I'll give you a hundred, I'll give you $500,000 to roll over and do what you want and create your own pension. Well, you know, I don't know what the statistics are, but, you know, I had a client come in with that particular, uh, choice and I basically educated him on the fact that, you know what? You might be better served by taking the 500,000 and creating your own pension. And, you know, for this particular client, what we did, is uh, we obviously we rolled over to an IRA and over say a period of seven years, we converted that IRA to a Roth IRA. And then what we did, we started her pension with that money, uh, you know, of 500,000 plus all the earnings in, in the last seven years. And basically she's getting a tax-free pension for life. So yeah, she had to wait seven years, but she had other assets to spend down. And now, God forbid, she's a single person. If she ever passed away, whatever's in that Roth account now goes to her beneficiaries. Uh, if she had taken the pension and she passed away, say in year 12, 15, uh, no, nothing goes to her, you know, her family. So um, again, like it doesn't happen every day, but when people have an opportunity to get, hey, a pension for life or a lump sum, I know most advisors want to get that money and invest it you know, we do have a conflict of interest, but the reality of it is if I can take that money and I can actually create a pension that's tax free and compare it with what she would have gotten had she not made that election, I think I'm doing my job. Well, that's a great point and good stories there, Charles, to share with us. Now, I want to go back a moment to something else that you mentioned when you were illustrating those different amounts of uh, you know dollars and money that would be taxable in those various scenarios. 
I know one of the common questions about retirement and taxes is, is there a way to get tax-free income in retirement? Can we create that um, and, and have that as a benefit? Yeah, I mean, there's only two ways. Number one, there's only two ways that I know of. Um, so number one would be a Roth IRA. So the beauty of a Roth IRA is like, let's just use an example. You got $100,000, you, you know, you want to convert it to a Roth. Your tax liability is 25000 say 25%. So you can like basically move the whole hundred grand over and pay 25000 tax from another after-tax account if you have the money, or if you don't have the money, you basically have 25,000 withheld, you move 75,000 over, and now all the future growth is gonna grow tax-free. So that's one way is like create a Roth IRA where all the distributions and all the earnings will be tax-free for life, right? That's really critical and important for a lot of people, right? Number two, the only second way that you can create tax-free income is with cash value life insurance. Now I know that you know, a lot of people probably on the call, like oh, life insurance is the worst investment I ever had in my life. Or, you know, I hear it's, you know, it's not an investment. Well, you know, there's a fellow that is part of our group. His name is Dave Buckwald. I'll give him a shout out. Dave is like an insurance expert. He says that uh, basically there's two types of policies. There's a greed policy. And the greed is like, hey, I'm buying this life insurance policy for me, right? Not for anybody else, but for me. And there's a need policy where you're, you're buying a life insurance policy for your beneficiaries. So the only second way to create uh, tax-free income for life is to buy a greed policy. What's a greed policy? I'm just going to like summarize it, you know, generally. But basically what you want to do is you want to get the least amount of death benefit and put the most amount of money into that policy over the shortest period of time. So for example, uh, for many clients, what we're doing is we're creating $300,000 death benefits. And that death benefit, yeah, if they die, it goes to their beneficiaries. But what we're really doing is we're creating a $300,000 benefit so that if they ever needed long-term care, they might be able to access 6,000 a month of that $300,000 policy for up to four years to supplement their social security benefit and maybe some of the other investment income that they might have in retirements to cover long-term care potential liability. Uh, or, you know, if they didn't need long-term care, they're just funding that policy, say like five years, 30,000 a year, that's $150,000, not chump change, but now they have a $300,000 death benefit. Let's just say the cash value is 150. They're only getting charged insurance on the difference between the death benefit of the 300 and the 150 cash value. So it's fairly inexpensive. And now inside that policy, they might have an opportunity for that policy to grow at five, six, 7% a year. And if they do that, what happens is eventually that $300,000 death benefit might rise to 350, 400,000. Now they have a source of tax-free income in retirement if they needed it. And what some people do is like, hey, they might, they might fund it for five years, let it marinate for five years, and then beginning of the 11th year, they start taking money out strategically each and every year. And as the money's being taken out tax-free, the death benefits lower, 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 until basically they've taken out like two or three times what they put in on a tax-free um, you know, with a tax-free strategy. Now, I know I said a lot, but the reality of it is if they're structured properly, Right? These things can work as an alternative tax-free vehicle. And one thing, you know, to compare the life insurance with the Roth, the beauty of a Roth is like it can go up 30%, you know, but it can go down 30%. One thing good about a life insurance policy, it might only be able to go up, let's be realistic, 7, 8%. 
but it can't really go down, right? That's the way these things are structured. So when you do the math, if you look at the history of the stock market uh, from like, uh, they call it the lost decade, from 2000 to 2010, if you were in the market, I think maybe you lost 1% over 10 years, right? But if you were in one of these like policies where the market's up, you can make maybe as much as seven or eight and the market's down, you can't lose anything. Actually, the rate of return was like a little south of 5%. So my point is that, again, you know, uh, you're not going to find this in a textbook. And if you do, you're not going to read it all. I've been around the block, you know, uh, you know, a couple of years looking at these life insurance policies. And I was like, you know, as a CPA, when I had my CPA hat on years ago, I didn't really understand a lot of these policies. And I would kind of like tell my clients like, hey, you know, it might not be if you don't understand it, don't do it. Now that I understand it a lot better, I think I'm in a position to actually like, you know, from an objective point of view, look at have my clients look at the advantages and the disadvantages. And for a lot of clients that have like a lot of pre-tax income or after-tax income that don't have as much tax-free income, there may be an opportunity to create something that will provide tax-free income and possibly a long-term care benefit if need be. I love it, Charles. Appreciate it. I don't think we've ever heard you um, so passionate about a topic. So I knew we were going to strike a good chord with you today talking about taxes and retirement and uh, combining your, your favorite worlds together here. Another common retirement planning question has to do with where you're going to live. Should I move to an income tax-free state? Is that a realistic strategy or is it just more of a byproduct when people are maybe already thinking about moving? I mean, how, how much does that enter your conversations uh, about retirement with folks? Well, I'll tell you, like, you know, I do ask that question to a lot of people that come in my office, like, hey, when you retire, where are you going to live? Because, um, you know, right now I have a client in New York. She has um, not a lot, but like say, like, you know, $700,000 in a pre-tax account. And uh, if I start moving that sooner rather than later, uh, she's going to be subject to New York taxation, which, you know, we figured out is around 6%, you know, of the amount that we're going to move. If she moves to Pennsylvania, the tax is zero. If she moves to Florida, if she moves to Nevada, if she moves to Texas, it's zero. So it's a question you have to ask. But the reality of it is, is generally speaking, um, you know, sometimes when you move to these states, like I'll, I'll take a classic example. I'm here in Pennsylvania, Delaware's right down the street just about like 10 times a year, I'll have people say, Hey, Charles, like, you know, am I better off uh, moving to Delaware? They have like lower um, real estate tax rates, you know, blah, blah, blah. And what I find is like, Hey, sometimes when you do move from one state to another, you might save in income taxes, but you might be paying out the rear end in say uh, real estate tax or something like that. So it's something that you need to be aware of. But at the end of the day, I'm not so sure it makes a major difference unless you're really looking at major dollars. I appreciate that, Charles. Uh, one last story from you, if you have it in you, a uh, maybe a tax planning strategy that you've used in the past that made a significant difference in somebody's retirement plan. Bring this all home for us to show us that true impact. Yeah, I mean, I go back to that case I talked about earlier. A woman, like she was uh, 62 years old, had that $42,000 a year pension. Uh, I just got done at the time reading The Power of Zero by David McKnight. You know, with my tax background, I understood it fully. I said, wow, this is an unbelievable book. I could have written it, you know, but this is the way the guy written it and put it into the, you know, I guess between the pages, it was easy to follow. So I followed that system and I, I basically, uh, over a seven year period, got this woman in the 0% tax bracket. So now she has as much money as she had seven years ago, but now like she'll never have to pay another dollar in income taxes for the rest of her life because her standard deduction is going to wipe out 
you know, her Social Security benefit, which is taxed, you know, kind of like a, a, an unclassical way uh, or unconventional way, I should say. Um, she's not going to pay any taxes at all. And if she ever has to pay taxes, it, she's going to be in the 10% tax bracket. So, you know, if you had a chance to like maintain 90% of what you get and just give 10% to the government, it's still not a bad deal. I appreciate that, Charles. Thank you for all the information about taxes and tax planning on the show today. Look, if you've got further questions about this, I do invite you to reach out and talk to Charles. He's the man to go to, not only with that certified financial planner, uh, you know, education and excellence, but as a CPA as well, merging these worlds together of tax planning and financial planning. And uh, that's how you get ultimately the best financial plan in place. So if you've got questions for Charles, pick up the phone, give him a call at 610-388-7705. Ask your tax and retirement planning questions to him. Go through the planning process if you're a good fit to work with one another. Again, 610-388-7705, or go online to cpweldygroup.com, and we'll link to the contact info in the description of today's show so you can find that easily as well. Hey, Charles, appreciate the help and a great episode today. We'll look forward to another chat with you soon. Thank you, Walter. Appreciate your time and effort. Thanks so much. That's Charles Weldy. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time right back here on Reengineering Your Finances with Charles Weldy. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice.